0: Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, with me once again to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 verses uh, 16 through 26 again. We looked at this passage last week in terms of the whole picture, and today we are going to uh, begin looking at the fruit of the Spirit uh, today in general. Uh, Those those evidentiary marks of uh, all of those who belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, I think it's vital for us to know the the marks, the characteristics of those in whom the Spirit uh, indwells. Uh, Those tangible marks of grace that are evidenced in the lives of those who have a true saving faith? Again, today we're going to look at the fruit of the spirit in general, and then, Lord willing, we'll come back and, and look at these in, in detail. I haven't really mapped out how long we'll we'll do this. Some weeks we may just look at one; other weeks we may look at two or three. But as we uh, as we get started here, I have I have two main main goals in view as we study the fruit of the spirit together. Number number one, by by God's help. To have a clear understanding of where we stand with the Lord. And, and then number two, for, for all of those who, who do truly belong to Jesus, I, I want to encourage us and challenge us in the cultivation of the fruit of the Spirit in, in our lives. And so those are the things I have in mind as we study this together. And before I read, let me lead us once again in, in prayer, asking for God's blessing, let's pray. Our Lord, we have uh, we have reached the very heart, the very center of our worship service, the time in which your word is opened before us, and the living God addresses the people of God. And we we ask now that, as we listen to the Word of Christ, that it would be, christ's word that we hear addressing each of us we ask that the holy spirit would come and work in the way that he does to to teach and instruct and to challenge and to convert and to conform and to bless us according to your word would you do that work for we ask it all in jesus name amen (coughs) Uh, Galatians chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I want to remind you of words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. You remember Jesus says that a bad tree cannot bear good fruit and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A tree is known by its fruit. Now, what Jesus is saying there, and I think what Paul is saying here in Galatians chapter 5, is is very simply this. That what you are and what you do is far infinitely more important than merely what you say. Uh, I think we'll see that as we look at this passage together. It is one thing to say that you are a born again, spirit-indwelled, heaven-bound child of God. And it is another thing altogether to buy our lives and character to show that what we say about our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is in fact sincere and real and heartfelt. Here in Galatians 5, Paul, you see he contrasted these two lists, the work of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Two two lists which we can use to examine our own hearts and our own lives. Lists which I think help us discern whether we are truly in Christ, forgiven sinners, children of the living God, the spirit-indwelled people of God. Or whether because our own lives betray us as such, we are those who yet remain outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today I want us to to look in in general terms at the fruit of the Spirit. And and I invite you to come along with me as we do this by considering six statements about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the first one just to get us started thinking about this. The, The Holy Spirit indwells believers. That is the great reality. That is the great presupposition. That, that is the great assumption of the Apostle Paul as he speaks here about the fruit of the Spirit. That the Spirit dwells in the hearts of believers. That, that believers are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now we've already seen this in Galatians back in chapter 4. Paul said, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son to dwell in your hearts. Now that's, a, that's an incredible title of the Holy Spirit when you pause and you think about it. He is the, the spirit of the son. The spirit of Christ. The constant Companion and uh, minister to our Lord Jesus Christ throughout his earthly ministry. so it shouldn't it shouldn't surprise us that the fruit of the spirit describes nothing less than the moral glory and the moral beauty of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. and therefore I think one of the Ways to, we, we ought to think about the fruit of the Spirit is, is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of Christ coming into our lives in order to reduplicate the moral beauty of Jesus Christ, in order to remodel our lives that we might reflect something of the moral character of our Savior. See, the Holy Spirit is the the great gift of the risen Christ to to his people. And that takes us, you see, it takes us to the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. Christians are spiritual people. And I mean that capital S. You like the big word, pneumatological. We are, to the core, spiritual people. We are people born again by the Spirit. We are people united to the living Christ by the Spirit through faith. We we are people indwelled by the Spirit of the Son. And we are people who are being conformed by the Spirit to the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so the fruit of the Spirit, you see, it's a a summary of what the Spirit has come to produce in our lives. A summary of... Of the Spirit's desire for the children of God. You see the Spirit hasn't come to be passive in our lives. He has come to work Christ-like character into our lives from the very core of our being to the outside. That That is the goal of the Spirit's ministry in us. To conform us to the likeness and the image of Jesus Christ. You remember how Paul speaks in Romans chapter 8, that famous passage, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, and those whom he predestined, he also called, justified, and so on. Just ask the question, though, what was the purpose of God's predestinating work? What does Paul say? Paul says the purpose of God's predestinating work was to conform us to the likeness of his Son. To make us like Jesus. And that's why when Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit, you see. He doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit are. And then list a bunch of gifts. Yes, yes, the Holy Spirit imparts gifts to God's people. But we're, I think we're meant to see here that the, the, one of the evidences, one of the primary evidences of A believer of being a child of God is not gifts, but graces. It's not gifts. It is is the fruit of Christ's likeness in our lives. And so the Spirit, you see, this is what I want us to see as we just begin to think about the fruit of the Spirit together. The Spirit comes to dwell in the lives of believers. And He comes to produce fruit. He comes with a desire. He comes to do work. And therefore, a telltale evidence that we truly belong to Christ, that we are indwelt by the Spirit of Christ, is that there is moral conformity to the glory, glorious, beautiful, lovely character of Christ. Because the chief desire of the Spirit is through Christ, making the children of God something something beautiful for God. That's the first thing I want us to see. Here's the second thing. The fruit of the Spirit is inevitable fruit. They put together what Paul says in, in Galatians. God has sent the Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, to dwell in our hearts. And now he says, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. There is a sense, I think we are meant to see in this passage, there is a sense of inevitability to this. If the Spirit of the Son truly dwells in your heart through faith, then this is the result of His presence in your life. Now that's not to say That there isn't a remaining conflict between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. We we talked about that last week. But if the spirit of God lives in you and his goal, his aim is to make you more like Jesus. I want you to see as we think about the fruit of the spirit. Believers should take some encouragement here because this means The Holy Spirit comes into your life to transform you from the inside out. Here's another thing this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that we are to just sit back. This is not an invitation to let go and let God and, and you know, sit back and, and wait for the fruit to appear. It's, it's not at all an, an incentive or an invitation to be passive in the Christian life. In fact, it is just the opposite. It is the greatest possible encouragement for activity in the Christian life. You remember how Paul describes this very dynamic in the Christian life in Philippians 2. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you. You see what Paul is doing there. He is Calling Christians to activity, and what is the motivation? What is the, the encouragement that he, he uses to undergird that command? But the very work of God in them, enabling them to will and to work. And so, this isn't this, this idea of inevitability. You don't take it as a reason for passivity, but as an encouragement for activity. And, but I want us to see, I want us to see that this fruit. Here's another way of putting it. It it, it is inevitable, but not automatic. Uh, It is spirit worked. But what does Paul call us to do in this passage? But to walk in step with the spirit. And so as we look at the fruit of the spirit in in the weeks to come, I I, I hope we'll see that, you know, we we need to work. We need to work hard at loving one another. We, We need to work hard at. Showing patience and kindness and being good to one another. We, we need to work hard at being self-controlled. We need to see that. But I want you to see here there is encouragement for the children of God. Because for those who belong to Jesus. Those who have real faith working through love. Paul says this is what the Spirit will produce. Fruit. And incidentally that is why we reject what people today call you know, easy believism. You, I think, heard that phrase before, the idea that you could, you know, just say a prayer or, or uh, <clears throat> make some uh, kind of profession of faith or have some kind of uh, spiritual experience and then think, but it doesn't, it doesn't really matter how I live my life because I had that experience. I, I made that profession of faith. Dear friends, you, do you see that that kind of thinking is utterly opposed to the purposes of the triune God? It, it, it is opposed to the, the purpose of the Father who, who gave His Son... That we might be conformed to his image. It is opposed to the purpose of the son. Who, who laid down his life. And rose again from the dead. Not just to deliver us from the guilt of our sin. But also from its power. And it is utterly opposed to the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Who is sent by the father and the son. Into our hearts. In order to produce this fruit. Now of course the purposes of. God are, are, are one. The will of God is one. The triune God is united in this purpose to conform the children of God to the likeness of Jesus Christ. So this easy believism that is running rampant in the American church today is utterly opposed to the grace of God in the gospel. Because you see, what has Galatians taught us? Galatians, I hope you've seen this, that when the gospel comes into your life, and God takes hold of you, and as you take hold of Christ by faith, God accepts us, God adopts us, and God changes us. And all of those are the result of God's saving and redeeming work through our, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So it is impossible, impossible, to persistently live an unchanged life If you belong to Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you. Here's a third statement I want us to think about. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit. Emphasize that word of. The fruit of the Spirit. Means God gets all the glory for the fruit. Uh, God gets all the glory for the fruit because it is God produced Fruit. That's what Paul wants us to see here. It is the fruit of the Spirit. If there is anything good in a believer's life, it is due to the grace of God. It is due to the saving merits of Christ and the, the work of the Holy Spirit. I love the way the Heidelberg Catechism puts it. It says, Christ, having redeemed us, renews us by his Holy Spirit. You see, anything good in us, my friends, is, is, is from God. Any growth, any progress, any fruit in the Christian life, we see comes foundationally and fundamentally from the work of the Spirit in the life and the heart of the believer. You know, Paul has that famous question, what do you have, have that you did not receive? And that applies to our sanctification, brothers and sisters. What do we have that we did not receive? It's all, it's all of grace, And that's why, by the way, that one of the most fitting characteristics of a Christian, what is it? It's humility. One of the most fitting marks of a Christian is humility because it is is the heartfelt recognition that all we are and all we have is from God. It is the heartfelt recognition that any growth in grace is the result of the spirit of Christ at work in my life. And so we as Christians can't go around patting ourselves on the back and saying, my, look look at me, look at the progress I've made. Look at how much more mature I am than these other Christians. Look at how well I'm doing in living the Christian life. No, what should we do instead in, in, in humble we should fall flat on our faces and give praise to God for the very fact that there's any fruit in our lives. And we should plead with Him to continue the work that He has begun in us. But you see, if, if humility is one of the most fitting virtues of the Christian life, that also means that one of the most unfitting marks of the Christian life is pride. One the most unfitting fitting marks of the Christian life is pride. It's, it's not only wicked. It's utterly absurd. Understand that? It is utterly absurd to the Christian gospel to be prideful because if there is anything in you that extols the Lord Jesus Christ, it is the fruit of the Spirit's work in your life. And so this little, this little phrase, the fruit of the Spirit, reminds us that God gets all the glory and it puts God in his proper place because it is God-produced fruit. And without the Spirit, my friends, there wouldn't be any fruit at all. A fourth statement. Uh, The fruit of the Spirit is distinguishable, but inseparable fruit. Fruit of the Spirit is distinguishable, but inseparable fruit. This will take a little bit to understand, I think, but let's try to get this together. Paul does something really interesting here. Paul speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits of the Spirit. Now that should I mean that should should surprise us because Paul has just talked about the works of the flesh. So we might anticipate him saying the fruits of of the Spirit, but he doesn't say that. He uses a singular word, a collective word, but a single word, and then he goes on to list several different uh, virtues, Christian graces. So the question is, why does Paul do that? And I think, I think it's this: Paul wants us to see that these fruit always go together. They are inseparable. And another word we might use is they are interdependent. This isn't... Uh, uh, <clears throat> when I was in seminary, I, I worked at uh, Shop and Save in the produce section and they had me make fruit baskets. You know, this isn't, this isn't a fruit basket of, of uh, Christian virtues where we can go and say, I'll, I'll take a little bit of, you know, I'll take some love and I'll take some uh, some patience and some gentleness and i'll leave the rest no we can't we can't do that paul is saying is that these these qualities are not qualities you can you can you can pick and choose because while you can distinguish them they hang together they are they are inseparable you really can't have one without the others paul is telling us let's just try to think of a couple practical examples to Try to illustrate this. Here's one that came to my mind. You can't have have real self control without joy. You understand, some some of you are going after things that you shouldn't be going after. Some of you are pursuing idols. Some of you are pursuing things that you shouldn't be pursuing. And I think at the heart of it is you lack joy. And and you're seeking joy in those things where joy cannot be found. It's one example of how these two things go together. Here's here's another one. Think, think Think about gentleness and faithfulness. How do those two hang together? Well, some of you, some of us, perhaps are just naturally, you know, just personality-wise, predisposed to hate any kind of conflict. Right? We are just by nature uh, you know, gentle people. We want, to be, we want to be peacemakers and we, we avoid conflict at, at, at every possible cost. Well, what is it if we are willing to do that at the expense of faithfulness? It's not gentleness, it's cowardice. But flip that around, because what about people who, in the name of faithfulness, you know this guy, right? Who's always ready and willing to provide a good biblical smackdown and set you right. But there's no, you know, there's no gentleness there. There's no patience there. All done in the name of faithfulness. That's not faithfulness, dear friends. That's just self-righteous pride and it's it's ugly it's rotten to the core so you see these go together with the fruit of the spirit there is there is a symmetrical harmony of character which of course we we see perfectly and and preeminently in the lord jesus christ he he manifested this fruit in perfect harmony in his life and what, what it is, the, the Holy Spirit comes to reduplicate in our lives is this kind of moral harmony in the life of the Christian. And for sure, for sure, within the shape of, of our own individuality, we, we are all unique persons. But within the unique shape of our own personality, the Spirit comes to produce within us likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so within our own unique character our own unique personality the spirit is developing the contours of the savior's moral glory that's what the holy spirit desires to do that's why you know incidentally that's why in the church our goal should never be to produce clones our goal should never be to produce cookie cutter christians Instead, we are, we are to be individuals that God made. And yet within that uniqueness, we all mirror something of the, the, the moral loveliness of our Savior Jesus Christ. That's what we share together in Christ. And I wonder, friends, if, if, this, is, I wonder if this is the desire of your heart today. That's one of the questions I want, I want us to ask ourselves, ask myself, ask you. Do you desire? <clears throat> do you desire in the depths of your heart? No matter, you yes, ask imperfectly, but do you desire what the Spirit wants? And therefore, are you seeking with God's help, with, with all your strength, all your might, all your energy to, to daily walk in steps with the dictates of the spirit of christ i think it's a challenge it's a challenge for me to reflect upon this reality friends that those things that we love most those things that we desire most we are ready to expend ourselves in the pursuit of it so my question to you today is this how much are you expending yourself to be like Christ? Answering that question, my friends, will say a lot about our hearts. Here's the fifth thing. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is relational fruit. I want you to think about it. Um, what is it. What is it that the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit... It, is share in common. Well, think about the works of the flesh first. What what is it that the works of the flesh share in common? They destroy relationships. That's what they share in common. I mean, enmity and strife and divisions and fits of anger and and dissensions and so on and so on. And you know, um, you know, here we are living in a in a in a culture and a time in which you know, the the message is there: sexual freedom is the key to happiness. No, it's not, dear friends. Sexual immorality is, is the key to a life of destroyed relationships. Now, what about the fruit of the Spirit in contrast to that? See what I'm getting at? Relational fruit. What, what do the fruit of the Spirit do but, but cultivate and promote relationships? I think that's actually Paul's concern here. It's clear in this context that this is Paul's main concern. He's he's talking about Christians relating to other Christians, and that means the fruit of the spirit. Hear this: the fruit of the spirit is primarily tangibly displayed in how you and I relate to one another. That's what Paul is saying here. In context, go back to verse fifteen where. Paul said, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed with one another. Apparently that's what the Galatian church had become, a place of uh, of, uh, infighting and division. Then in the list of the works of the flesh, eight out of the 15 mentioned all have something to do directly with relational sins. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And then in the last verse of the chapter, verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So you see what Paul's concern is. Paul is saying that the Spirit's work is evidenced in the way Christians relate to one another. (laughs) He's, He's saying to people who are biting and devouring one another, who are provoking one another to envy and anger, at brothers, brothers and sisters, enmity and strife and, and fits of anger, these aren't the products of the Spirit. These aren't the fruit of the Spirit. That, that fruit, that, those works of the flesh, stand in opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. And so I think telling evidence that you are, uh, that you are saved, that you are justified, child of God, is, is this, uh, a spirit-indwelt Christian is someone whose the, the inward reality of God's grace is outwardly evidenced in the way that they rela- relate to brothers and sisters in Christ. Another, another way of putting that is the telling evidence that you are saved, justified, being sanctified, spirit-indwelt Christian is seeing how you treat other Christians. So, the work of God through Jesus by the Spirit produces tangible, real, evidential fruit. The gospel doesn't leave us in abstracts, dear friends. You, you can say you love God's people till you're blue in the face. But if it's not a reality, what, well, what does John say? John says, You're, you're a liar. So the practical test that we truly are the children of God is, is that we love one another in Christ. That we, that we bear with one another. That we, that we are patient with one another and, and gentle with one another. We rejoice with one another. We're kind and, and we seek to do good to one another. Paul says this is the fruit of a lively and saving faith. Remember what Jesus said. And my friends, this needs to, this needs to come home to, to our hearts. Jesus said, the world will know you. How? Do you remember? The world will know you by the love that you have for one another. The world will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for for one another. So because of God's grace, people ought to see transformed relationships. They ought to see an entirely different relationship. World, when they see Christians living together relationships marked by by grace relationships not marked by pride and envy and infighting and self-promotion self-preservation pride and all of the rest insisting on one's own way what's this passage say no when Christian when people the world looks at Christians relating to one another they ought to see relationships marked out by love so you can, have, you can have all the orthodox doctrine in the world. You can talk about theology from sunrise to sunset. You can have the most articulate confession of faith. You can be the most reformed church in an area. And if you do not have the fruit of the Spirit, we're nothing more than a clanging symbol. Is what Paul is saying. A test, therefore, again, a test of a true and lively faith that unites you to Jesus is is not merely what you say or what you know. The the test of the Spirit's presence is that when you look at people, and you look at, at your relationships, what you see is is the fruit of the Spirit. The evidence that you, you are a child of God, believer in Christ, and dwelled by the Spirit is, is it's not that you you know you come to church, you read your Bible every day, you, you follow some habits of the faith. No. The real evidence, my friends, is that you live and you look like Jesus Christ. A Christian is not simply a walking textbook filled with new ideas. A Christian is someone who is being transformed by the Spirit into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And all that doctrine is absolutely worthless unless that is a reality in your life. So let me ask us these couple of questions. Would people people see from our lives and our fellowship? That we are the spirit indwelt children of the living God. They see testimony of that reality, or may it never may it never be true. Would they take offense hearing that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, expecting to go into the throne room of heaven? My friends, do our lives testify to the presence of the Spirit of Christ who has come to take our lives and mark it with the likeness of Christ? My prayer this week has been this, that our lives would evidence this fruit more and more and more. You know what that would mean if, if that were the case? It, it would mean that the, the fellowship of the saints here at Trinity, would become a more perfect picture of heaven upon earth. And my friends, that's what the fellowship of believers ought to be. It ought to be a microcosm, a picture, an anticipation of of what it will be like one day to be in glory, to see relationships restored. And... Our witness, another consequence, our witness in this town, I think, would be immeasurably empowered. Because our, our words and our lives would, would come together and form a concurrent flood and testify to the saving power of Jesus Christ. And finally, just very, very briefly here, I need to finish with this should have stopped at three or four but we're doing all six here's the last one the fruit of the spirit is imperfect fruit my friends it's imperfect because because we're sinners the conflict is still there between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit yes the spirit is at work but we're still disformed and, and weak. You know, we can we can see the fruit, but it's it's often so small. That's true if we're all honest with ourselves. We we don't produce perfect fruit because we remain imperfect trees. But here's what I want to leave you with. Let's let's remember this: that there that there is a perfect tree that has produced perfect fruit. It's Jesus. Jesus Christ. You know, today we see our, our remaining imperfection. I hope we are, we are driven not just to a deeper desire for a further work of the Spirit in our lives and a greater conformity to Christ, but a deeper appreciation and gratitude simply for the moral beauty and perfection of our Savior Jesus Christ. He he was a perfect tree loaded with the fruit of the Spirit and had nothing of the flesh. You look at his life in the Gospels, and the, you know, the fruit of the Spirit should, should beckon us, dear friends, to just come to Jesus Christ and bow down and worship. What a Christ this is! Full of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and Perfect, steadfast, unwavering faithfulness and tender gentleness and perfect poise and self-control. That's the Jesus we see in the Gospels. Just read the Gospels and you see the fruit of the Spirit in His life in every scene. And so here's what I where I want to end today. Let's, Let's praise Christ. Let's fall down and say, Lord, make me like that. Wherever we go here with the fruit of the Spirit, let's make sure we end there today. Let's pray. Our Father, we we want to be more like Jesus, more like Christ. So we, we ask that you would strengthen us to walk in step with the Spirit. That the fruit of the Spirit might be evidenced more in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.